We've been uh, on a bit of a journey through Colossians, uh, using, for those who are uh, visiting with us, Colossians Remix, Subverting the Empire, a book by uh, Brian Walsh and Sylvia Kiesmat. That's been the main uh, source of my thinking as we've gone through uh, this little book of the Colossians, uh, written to the Colossians. And we've looked at the critique of the empire, and last week we shifted our thinking from the empire that molds us, blands us out, takes away our imagination, to thinking, well, okay, what replaces that? And we were thinking that it's not another empire that comes with violent military power. It's one that comes with a beauty and brokenness, with a Jesus who humbled himself and gave himself up to death, even death on a cross. But at the same time, we were still talking about what it wasn't. We talked about seceding from the sexual promiscuity and looked a little bit about how that was tied up with idolatry and also those words that dehumanize when we uh, malicious talk and uh, things like that come from our mouths. So we've still been kind of thinking what it isn't. And then we come to these verses, a short reading, but oh my goodness, verses 12 to 17 of Colossians 3. There are so many things right here far too many for an already bunged church service with communion to come. But the first thing, and I don't want us to lose it because it's important to hear it, the throwaway introduction, almost, never too many throwaways in letters as short and succinct as this. But therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We can miss that introductory lead in. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's who you are. That's who we are. We are loved. We are holy. Not because of those great acts of holiness that we attempted and failed to do last week, or maybe even did, or wanted to do and didn't do, We are holy because of this Jesus, because of the grace of God. So we are already thinking of ourselves there in an alternative way. The world outside rarely believes that they're holy or dearly loved. In fact, most of what goes on in the empire is about trying to get loved. If I do this, get that position in the company, or if I have that BT address, or if I have that car, or whatever it is that we might do to feel that we might be appreciated or loved. The empire tantalizes us, teases us with what we might need to achieve that. In the community, we just are. Loved as we are. Into who we can be. Already in our thinking, we're beginning to see the kingdom is very different. We are then, can I say, a chosen people. Walsh and Kiesmatt talk about these verses as the values of 
community. The empire these days, at least, can be very individualistic. The Bible knows very little about individualism. It's always in community. People, family, body, holy nation. We are a part of something. It's never as islands that we engage with God. But then if we want to look down and go through, we find that there's these things that I suppose Paul maybe in other letters calls the fruit of the Spirit, and it maybe isn't fully formed right here in Colossians. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These again are not empire things. But they're what we put on ourselves in the midst of community. Compassion. It's not only about nonviolence. It's not only about not being exclusive. It's far more tangible than that and proactive than that. It's a living alongside and embracing the brokenness in the song that we've just been singing says it so much. This is the prayer of our community. This is the prayer of the people of God that all these things that we've just prayed in this hymn might be what goes on in the world around us. We are a compassionate people longing for that, not only in the community that we belong to, but in the communities that this community then touches. Compassion. Kindness. Not a clenched fist, we're going to maintain what we have, but an open-handed welcome to those who have need. Humility. Not the arrogance of seeking position. Not the arrogance of and many of those principles will listen to this sermon, none of them, but principles going to live in bunks. I love the whole concept, Christine. That's a whole new charity. Never mind the good you're going to do in India. To bring people from ministers, and whoever we might be, people who for most of their lives are in positions where they have some authority to learn what it is to be out of the place of authority. The kingdom's about that. The kingdom is about a humility in how we go about doing the things we do. So, sorry, Christine, you're going to have to be humble with those principles even when they're really crotchety, but that's the kingdom. And maybe even in the humble way that Christine leads that team, that team learn how to be humble leaders, because there are leaders. We will be called to be leaders. But in the kingdom, we lead with this incredible humility. And with patience. We are the most impatient generation in history. How many times have I told us that? It's three minutes since I sent that text. Why have I not got a response? I was just sharing with Mary Boyd's nieces how there's family in New Zealand. And I guess not very long ago, it would have taken them a long time or they'd have to have sent a telegram. But to send letters and to get letters back would take a long... Now we're expecting immediacy. And as a result of the empire conditioning us into this immediacy, the patience that Paul talks about here 
is not something that's really happening around us. We're almost going to have to be that community who in showing our patience models a patience to the world around. Knowing that God is about his business in his time and no matter how many texts we send him, he's not going to just move at our whim because we've got impatient. And then we move into this idea of bearing with each other, forgiving one another, getting over the grievances. You know what I love about that? We're going to have it. There's going to be grievances. Paul is allowed for it. He's looked into the community and colicized. He didn't, but the Holy Spirit looked into the community of Fitzroy and we realize we're going to have grievances. There's going to be times you're going to be thinking, now that guy at the front, how long was that service this morning? And if that's all, I'll be very happy because I'm sure they'll be worse than that. Because of who we are, because of the fallen humanity, because of the different perspectives we bring, because of the different ages, the one wonderful thing, the most incredibly gifted thing about this community is this all age bearing with each other. I'll not mention them by names. They'll be embarrassed when I say it because they're here. But some in their 50s who are delighted now to belong to a congregation where there are people older than them. And watching the older like Jack with little Mark or with students the other week chatting. This is a community that bears with each other. Yeah, we see things differently. The culture that many of you grew up in is a completely different culture than what our children are growing up in. But we allow for it. We become a family. We forgive each other. We build community that shows the ability of diversity to come together. And there again, I love it. What Presbyterian church is more diverse than the menagerie I'm glancing across now? The theology is different from one to the other. Maybe huge differences in theology from one to the other. But we can come together and we can talk about it. We can come together and we can recognize even the value of the richness of it. This is what the dream of community was about. And the privilege for us to find ourselves in the middle of that is wonderful. And I thank you for it. But let's be alert. Let us be wise and let us not be complacent that that is happening. Let us learn to forgive. And then Paul says, and over all these things, put, put a mantle over yourselves. Clothe yourselves in love. I suppose it's the outworking of the love we've just been talking about. And as I was thinking about love, and we talked a little bit about that last week, it's not an abstract idea, love. It really needs incarnation. There's no point in us singing about the love of God. There's no point in us talking about the love of God that invites us to the table shortly. There's no point in us quoting verses about the love of God. The love of God needs to become incarnational. And it needs to become incarnational in my relationship with each of you, in your relationships together, and our relationship as a community. And then that love has to spread out because the conditioning of that love within us, the modeling of that love with the help of the Holy Spirit within our community can then give us confidence to bring, and even without thinking about it, we start to love those around us.
because of the way that we've helped condition one another. And then as I was looking last night, I was thinking, you remember Invictus last week? Just happened to watch that at the right moment last Saturday night to give the, sort of the bones of the sermon something. I was on Facebook and there she is. She's checked out, but she's still around. Whitney Wilkinson had put this verse up on her Facebook. Just this line. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. I thought, ooh, that's Mumford and Sons. I like a bit of Mumford and Sons. So I went and I got the entire song, Awake My Soul, from this band, Mumford and Sons, out. In these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Awake my soul, awake my soul, you were made to meet your maker. And I started to think about that in the context of empire, where, we, where the empire invests and where the kingdom invests and where Colossians 3 wants us to invest. And I thought, Mumford are onto it here via Whitney. This is about where we invest our love. And then I started to think in my own mind, is the love of the empire really love? Or is it desire? You know, the love of the empire is for more. The love of the empire is for bigger. The love of the empire uh, is the bottom line is that the stocks and shares go up. It's a desire. Can we call that a love? Because it seems to me in the center and in the core of the love of God and the love that Paul's talking about here, it's not a love for ourselves and our getting more. It's a love in our giving. And where we invest our love, we invest our lives. The kingdom is a kingdom where people invest love. The love of God that they've experienced is then invested in the people around them, in their own Christian community and then beyond that community to wherever we serve. And then we move into peace. Everything's here. And Michael was talking to us yesterday at our Saturday morning leaders looking at Discovery, which you will get that report that we have that's a brilliant report uh, that Brent and the Discovery team put together will be given in front of the entire congregation on the 27th of February. But Michael was doing um, the devotions at that and he was talking about shalom and this peace. And um, it's, a, it's not just peace that everything's sort of, there's no war. It's a bit like love. It's not a love that kind of settles for what you have or doesn't desire more. It's, it's a very giving peace. It's a, it's a peace that longs for uh, harmony in the world, that longs for everything to be whole and saved and right. It's justice. It's reconciliation. It's, uh, it's the kingdom. And if that peace rules in our hearts, then that peace makes its way into the community around us. And I don't want to scare you, but that, those are not my point today. Here's my point, and it's not as long. When we come to the end of this passage, we find the start of it, I think. I discovered in my own life this week secrets at the end of this passage that are really important for the kingdom as opposed to the empire. The next word after the peace thing might be it, and be thankful. Later on, singing 
to God with gratitude in your hearts. It seems that we come to the two things that I mentioned in Invictus last week that were important to Nelson Mandela in that strategy that he had to win the World Cup and bring a nation together. The written word and the sung word were the two ways that he brought the nation together. The Invictus poem that he gave to Francis Pinar Pinar, as the captain of the team when he might need it, the written word that had got him through Robben Island, and then the prayerful national anthem, God Bless America, they were two crucial parts in what I think Mandela was trying to do, which was actually build a really alternative kingdom out of an empire. And for us, the written word, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. The written word of worship is crucial to the stuff that's gone before. The thankfulness and the gratitude that makes its way into our songs, hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is vital for where we resource all the other stuff. Because if we come into God's presence in worship, If we come here and we sing about who God is and what God is, suddenly we realize that in our gratitude we have enough. And if we have enough, we don't need anything more. And if we don't need anything more, we don't need to be taken by the lie or the deception of an empire that tells us we need to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. In our thanksgiving, we settle for what God has given, our daily bread, the manna for the day. And we worship a God who in his compassion, kindness, patience, humility, will reflect onto us as we go out to serve him. So worship is so crucial for the kingdom. Now there are times in my life, long numbers of years, when I thought this was just the gathering of the social club. Let's get together on a Sunday and make sure we know who belongs to Fitzroy. And we'll have a wee sermon and a few songs We'll put some together. But really the work is done when we get into the youth work or when we get out into the neighborhood outreach or when we go to Clonard Fitzroy. Or, um, that's, where the, that's, where the, that's where the transformation's done. This is just to see who's in the team that we might pick to, to help us to do the other stuff that we're doing around about. As I've read about this alternative kingdom this week, I suddenly realize that everything is gonna pump from what we do in this hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It's the place that we're going to find ourselves given an alternative kingdom in the songs that we sing. It's the place we're going to find ourselves not ruling over people, but coming to be invited around the table of the real ruler who rules us humbly and patiently patiently and compassionately. It's here in community that we're going to have modeled to us in our worship that which we can take out 
into the world. I read a a, a rewrite of Jeremiah 29 a couple of weeks ago at the end of the service, uh, and I know some of you are really taken by that. Michael read it yesterday morning in those devotions I've already mentioned to. When we come to worship and we become the community of God, here's what the Old Testament community were told. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We find out of worship, out of coming before this God who rules our kingdom in humility rather than with the military might of the empire ruler that was Caesar and Colossae, as we come before him, as we are modeled by the word, the written word, and as we sing these songs of commitment and profession, we find that we will become the people who live in the midst of the empire as part of the alternative kingdom to encroach on the empire in everything we do. Whatever we do, teachers, poets, working with immigrants, Lawyers, cleaners, tea ladies, pharmacists, doctors, psychotherapists, songwriters, students. Whatever we do, if we do it for the glory of the God we worship, we will change the city and therefore change our own situation. Let me finish with a quote from Walsh and Kiesmatt. In our worship, we tell and retell another story than that of the Republic. The Republic they're talking about, sorry, Katrina, is America. They would say that even in political things in America, Remembrance Day, Independence Day, and the State of the Union, there are battle hymns of the Republic sung, there are written words and prayers of allegiance, what Walsh and Kiesmatt say, in our worship in the community of the kingdom, we tell and retell another story than that of the Republic. We hear another word proclaimed. We eat an alternative meal of remembrance. We pledge allegiance to another sovereign and we sing hymns, psalms and spiritual songs that set our imaginations free for another way of life, another politics. Amen.